Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick. I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host, and I want to thank you for listening in. So Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. So I'm incredibly excited for this episode because it's the first and what I hope will be a long-standing series that I'm calling Career Deep Dives where I bring on guests that are living successful careers to have them share their insights, experiences, and perspectives on career building and development. While the overarching themes and focus on career development will be pretty consistent throughout all of the guests, my aim is to bring on guests from a diverse range of backgrounds that can lend unique insight on a particular aspect of what makes up a career. That could be a specialization in a particular field or industry, experience with certain kinds of career events, or that might be able to offer helpful advice on how others can grow their own careers. At least to start with, I'm tapping into my network and I'm bringing on guests that have taught me something valuable that I've been able to incorporate into my own career, whether they're aware of the impact that they made or not. For my first guest, I have the distinct privilege of spending some time with Chuck Sigmund. Chuck is currently a Senior Business Program Manager for Learning and Development with Microsoft. Chuck's background is rooted in education since the year 2000 ranging from university curriculum and course material design and development to designing, implementing, and maintaining large training and learning development programs that have impacted over 15,000 employees across the globe. With industry experience, including higher education, healthcare, manufacturing, high tech, as well as consulting, including leadership roles at Amazon and most recently Microsoft supporting learning and development for Xbox, Chuck has significant breadth and depth of experience in the field, to put it modestly. Considered an expert in his field, Chuck has presented at 15 high-profile learning and development conferences, as well as been a chair and committee member for six international learning development conferences. And with that, let's get to the interview and hear from Chuck himself. So, Chuck, thank you so much for joining. Um, happy to have you on and um, happy to talk about your career and, and what you've learned and what you can teach all of us about your career. Um, Absolutely. It's been, been quite a while since we've had a chance to talk, so <laughs> glad to catch up and have this opportunity to have a little conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, with, with that on that note, I think that's what's what's still stands out to me in, in my mind about you, Chuck, is that even though it has been a while, you were, there was no hesitation that seemed in kind of willingness to come on. And that's, that's part of why I initially reached out to you is because my first interaction with you that I can remember, I mean, you were just so helpful um, in the learning and development space from a couple different aspects. So when we first worked together, I distinctly remember you were just showing me how to make a training video for a new process just to add to the knowledge repository where we were both working at the time. Um, so from that, as well as segueing into uh, how to help guide me through continuing education and pursuing you know, third-party certifications, uh, you just really represented I think the, the scope of what L&D can mean at a company. And so that's, that's just what stood out and, and you just always being so gracious and giving with your time. So appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So already kind of done highlight reel for your career, but um, would love if you can kind of, for everybody listening, kind of walk through uh, your career, like what's important to you for others to know about what you've done and, and what's important. 
Yeah, so I think as a bit of background, um, I generally talk about my career in two phases. I graduated with my first master's degree all the way back in 1994. Yeah, that's almost 30 years ago now. Um, and when I did, uh, my master's degree at the time was in economics with a focus on research and statistics. So I came out, I was a, essentially a data analyst and became a data scientist after that. And so my first sort of first part of my career was around data and reporting and doing all that. And I worked for primarily government agencies for the first 10 or 12 years. Um, and what I realized in doing all of that as I was working in those different roles is I was at the same time finding opportunities to teach people how to do things. So as, as a great example, I worked for the state employment department years, many years ago, when you were just a lad, um, and we were one of the first agencies to roll out Windows for Work groups. Um, and that involved a complete shift of how we were approaching using desktop computers and all of that. And I was on the team that developed all of the training to get 1,100 people spun up and, and familiar with a PC and how do they use this new system, et cetera. And I just realized how much I enjoyed doing that sort of thing and doing the training. And I found ways over the next several years to kind of insert myself in, into things like that. Oh, we're going to build this new data model. Well, we have to explain that to people. So I would build a little training around that. Um, and it just became really clear to me that that was kind of where I fit the whole training, learning and development thing. And an opportunity arose at one of the state agencies I worked at to become the manager of organizational development and training. And that was kind of that, you were talking earlier about pivot. That was that pivot moment for me where I really got out of the data side of things and moved into L&D and, and um, started taking on opportunities for both doing training and developing L&D programs and strategies going forward. Um, and that's really what I've done for the last 20, almost 20 years now of my career, um, yeah. and, you know, in, in all sorts of different organizations and, and ways. Awesome. So, and maybe as a, as a step back for anybody that might be less familiar. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what is L&D in terms of scope and where does it fit typically within organizations and what is it designed to, to do? Sure. So the, where does it fit is always a fascinating question <laughs> to me because you would think even at particularly at large organizations, you would think they have their own learning and development team, right? That is responsible for building the training that their employees need to take or delivering the training. That That's not the case in most, most places. They, it actually ends up either sitting under HR because somehow training and new hire, that must be a human resources uh, initiative that has to be run through HR, or it sits in operations, which is an even odder kind of place for it to sit. Um, and then it, you, you tie all the, the learning and development work to the operational metrics, which makes sense in one way, but in another, not so much. So learning and development, in my mind, really is about how we prepare and upskill employees to do their jobs, either their current jobs or, and, and this is a little bit of a radical belief, future jobs, right? Um, for example, when you and I work together, um, I built training that prepared you to do the job you were in at the time. But we also had conversations about, okay, Patrick, what is your next, what's that next thing you want to do? And how do we build a, a training program that supports you? And, and that next thing may not even be in the same path that you're on right now, right? Maybe you're a 
a project manager right now and you're recognizing, wow, what I'd really like to do is become an engineer. And because I work with lots of engineers, I see what they do. That's fascinating work to me. All right, how do we get you on that path? What are the, the pieces of content that you need? What are the steps we can support you in taking to get you along that path? Um, and from my perspective, for uh, particularly for larger organizations, it's harder to do in smaller, smaller orgs, but in larger organizations, doing that and supporting your employees that way um, improves retention, right? Because if I can help my employees, they don't have to stay in team A. They could be in team A for a while and, and then they decide, oh, I want to try team B. And if we're supportive of that, guess what? Some of those folks from team B are actually going to end up in team A later on down the road too, right? There's this really nice uh, synergy and motion around the whole organization where people have the opportunity to do things for a while and then try something new. Uh, I'll just give a, a great example. I work at Microsoft now and uh, within the team that I am part of, there are 12 what we call business program managers. Each one of them owns learning and development for one of the, the lines of business for Microsoft. I used to own Xbox, somebody owns learning and development for Surface products, somebody owns learning and development for Microsoft stores, et cetera. There is a clear recognition among our senior leadership that after about 18 months or two years, a BPM is going to get, I, I dare say, bored with their line of business. And all right, you know, at other organizations I've worked at, it would have been, well, that's too bad. That's the line of business you own. Keep owning it. Um, here, we actually have conversations about every three to six months. So Patrick, how are you feeling about owning Microsoft Surface right now? Are you thinking it's about time to consider something else? And then when you say yes, there's a movement. Okay, you don't want, you don't want to own Surface anymore? Gosh, it looks like there's an opening over here for stores. Let's move you over and you can take on stores, right? It gives you that opportunity to grow, develop, meet more people across the business, make more connections so that if the time comes that you want to get completely out of our organization and move to another part of Microsoft, you've now got those connections and those relationships and you can grow and develop in that space as well. So it, it really is that comprehensive view of how do we develop you as a person and as an employee to, to do what you're doing now, but even better to do what you want to do in the future. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome and inspiring. Cause I think that it's, it speaks to building productive careers at a, at a, at a company and kind of providing for that idea of not necessarily lifelong employment, but providing more of a pathway for people to stay in one place. And, and yeah. like you're saying, retain talent. There's obviously cost savings in there. You're not retraining people. You're retaining, um, you know, hate to say it, tribal knowledge, if it exists Absolutely. there, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, you're not losing all of that every, you know, three to three to five years as people, you know, get burnt out or bored and cycle out. Well, and it is, it is um, fascinating to me. And I think borne out by the, the data at, at Microsoft specifically, um, the, the folks on my team, as I said, there are 12 of us. Um, I got hired. I, I just passed my three-year mark at Microsoft. Um, other than me, the next lowest tenured person in our team with Microsoft is seven years. We've got four people who have been with Microsoft 20 years or more. One who just passed is 30 years. And I think that just speaks to the, and, and none of them have been in their roles that long. Let's be clear, right? Um, they've been in eight, 10, 12 different roles over their, the course of their careers because they have that flexibility to grow and develop and try new things. Yeah. And this is maybe, maybe speculative, but you know, you've worked at a number of different organizations. Are you finding that that approach to 
learning and development and kind of career agility is is becoming more more recognized and adopted, or is it still kind of bleeding edge and maybe kind of I, I think far between? No, I think slowly it's being accepted and accepted almost by force, right? A lot of these companies, um, let's say 10 years ago, uh, people would work there two, two and a half, three years, and they go, oh, I want to do something else. And the company would go, well, this is this is it. This is what you're, you were hired to do. This is what you're going to do. So what happens, right? People leave. They go and find what they want. And then they try another two and a half, three years. And I'm a perfect example of that. If you look at my resume or you look at my LinkedIn profile, you know, my, my kids have always laughed. I change jobs on average probably every three and a half years. Um, now, I'm not going anywhere now. Microsoft's my last employer. I love where I work. I love who I work with. I love what I get to do. Um, but what happened over time is they went, oh, shit, we can't keep training people up to take on a role is incredibly expensive. If I leave Microsoft right now, the cost to replace me, not just to go out and, and you know post the job and do the interviews and all that, that's one cost. But to get somebody up to speed with the level of knowledge and, and expertise that I have and the connections that I have is in the tens of thousands of dollars. And companies finally realized that and said, gosh, what can we do to prevent that? How do we save that money? Oh, well, we could give them opportunities to stay at our company. Crazy idea, I know. Um, but then, you know, you give them opportunities. So what? They leave this part of the org and they go to a different one. They're still here. And to your point, the tribal knowledge is still there. There are people within Microsoft within that are no longer within my organization that I know that if I don't understand something or I don't know who to connect to, I can reach out to them and say, hey, Jason, I'm trying to get a hold of somebody in that does this thing. Who might be able to do that? And he can rattle off five names of people he's worked with over the last 15 years. Go here, try one of these five. And if they don't work, come back to me and I'll give you another five, right? And I think that is just so incredibly valuable from an organizational perspective. Yeah, I mean, you you even referenced it, right? It's the relationships too, not necessarily the knowledge, but the relationships that you build and that cross-pollination exists. So all of a sudden now you're, you're putting real context and uh and efficiency behind these sprawling companies that are you know tens of thousands of people now you can make connections anywhere within it so my last company i, I worked at uh, amazon prior to moving to microsoft and i was there for about four and a half years and i used to kind of laugh with people shortly before i left i said there are a lot of things about this company i don't know because it's huge right and when, when i left i think we had just under a million employees worldwide so obviously there are a lot of people i don't know but there were very few questions you could ask me in the L&D space where I didn't know the person who did know the answer or, you know, I couldn't connect you to the right person who could connect you to the right person. It's, it really is kind of about that, the long-term relationships and, and understanding how the business works. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's talked a little bit about, you know, it's becoming, whether by force, kind of the new norm for L&D and kind of org approach to careers. What's what's maybe next? What's the new bleeding edge for learning and development in that space? Like, what are, what are people getting after? Is it all that AR, VR kind of stuff? Or is it, you know, tell me more about your, your take on that. Sure. So I can talk AR, VR all day, um, <laughs> and we'll get back to that. Um, but I think, interestingly, um, AI-based skills are a next big piece. And what I mean by that is as a, 
as an employee, complete some training, some learning and development experience. And that could be an in-person course. It could be a, an e-learning course. It doesn't matter. Um, we want to be able to do what's called decorating their profile with skills. So you take a class about, um, I don't know, civil engineering. When you're done with that, your electronic profile now says Patrick Diedrich has a level 100 understanding of civil engineering, right? And, and you get that skill attached to your profile. That then can be used in any number of ways. If a new role opens up in another team in our organization that says, oh, we need somebody who's got a level 100 skill in civil engin engineering and who's also a level 300 program manager, which you might already have. Now we can send that to you and say, hey, Patrick, there's this opportunity and we can rapidly fill a role with somebody who's definitely got those skills, who's already demonstrated they've earned those, those tags, right? Um, and what we want to see over time is the ability to use artificial intelligence to identify where we have skill gaps in the organization. Say, okay, Patrick's got five of the six things that he needs for this role. How do we help him get that sixth thing? Well, maybe he goes and takes a course on LinkedIn learning. Maybe he does a job shadow with some of the engineers, right? There's any number of ways we can get you that support and get you into that if you're obviously if you're interested in it. But it's about sort of mapping the employees to where are our gaps? Where are the needs in the business and how do we fill those needs as quickly as possible? Um, the first step in all of that, and this is going to sound really easy on the surface and is probably the most incredibly difficult part is identifying what we call a skills taxonomy. So building out that list of skills, and it should be generally hierarchical, right? Um, I, I laugh, the easiest one for people to think about is Microsoft Office. So, okay, Patrick's got the Microsoft Office skill. Well, what does that really mean? Well, under that, there's an Excel, a Word, and a PowerPoint skill. Okay, well, within Excel, what does that mean? Well, does he know how to do pivot tables? Can he create macros, right? All of those things so that we can get really to granular skill tagging and say, all right, this role or this project or this whatever requires this specific set of skills. Who's got that? And where can we fill that, that gap? Yeah, no, I love that kind of ob objective way to signify that as well, to say it's not just about coming into the interview. Hey, do you know how to do pivot tables? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to do that. And then you know, somebody embellishes or whatever, but this is like a way to show through actual accomplishments. Um, and I think um, on that note, couldn't help but but notice profile, notice tags, notice levels, um, something I know you are very passionate about and uh, want to spend some time talking through is this idea of gamification. So can you give a little background on what gamification is? Um, you can go... I'm gonna give you complete freedom here. Go as high level or as deep as you want. Uh, I know yeah. you're passionate about it, but then, and then how does it play in with L&D and how are you using it and seeing it used? Absolutely. So I'll first tell you what it isn't. Um, yeah. It isn't just points, badges, and leaderboards, which is what everybody assumes it is. It also isn't everybody gets to play a game to learn what they're doing. Um, so that's, games are different from gamification and, and points, badges, and leaderboards are certainly part of gamification, but there's a whole lot broader scope there. So in general, gamification is the application of game mechanics to a learning and de development experience. So a mechanic may be, for example, a timer, 
right? What we want to do in this particular training is we want to teach you how to make decisions when you're under a time crunch, you're in time pressure. Well, I could build a board game about making decisions or a card game about making decisions. But if it's just uh, take your time, spend 15, 20 minutes making this decision, that's not replicating the experience you're going to have in real life. So one of the gamification elements we might incorporate is some form of timer. I'd say, okay, go, you now have 30 seconds to make this decision. And then there would need to be some sort of repercussion or penalty if you don't make the decision in that time frame or if you make the wrong decision in that time frame, right? What we're trying to do is immerse you in as close to a real life experience as we possibly can and replicate that so that as you're learning, you're learning exactly as if you were practicing it in real life. Now we can, um, not only can we, but in most cases we try and wrap that in some sort of thematic approach or story-based approach. And the story does not have to match real life, right? You can come up with any kind of crazy story that you want. Um, I just saw somebody's uh, approach to, um, again, about decision-making that was based on little bunny foo-foo um, and, you know, hopping through the forest and scooping up the field mice and all that. <laughs> which, which field mice do you scoop up and which ones do you throw out? Throw out? And, um, but the, the, the theme really did drive home the point of you have to make good decisions under pressure. Um, so what we're trying to do when we apply gamification in our learning is the very first step we take is we look at what we call learner personas. Who is our audience? Who is it? We oftentimes when we build learning and development experiences, again, could be an e-learning course, whatever, we, we just go into and say, oh, I know exactly who the learner is. It is uh, a customer service agent, and I'm going to build one course that will meet whatever their needs may be, right? And we have a picture in our head of what a customer service agent may be. Might be somebody between the ages of 25 and 30, and they're highly technically skilled. Well, what is that based on? Have you gone out and done any research to find out if that's really who your CSAs are? Have you um, gone out and asked them what motivates them? What would keep them engaged in this training? Because ultimately, we want people to want to complete our training, right? I, as, a, as an L&D expert, I never want to put something in front of you and say, here, go take this course. And you go, oh, God, I really don't want to do this, right? And, and I'll be honest, in my career, I built lots of ones that people rolled <laughs> their eyes out and were bored, bored silly with, right? That were just no good. Um, but the goal is to create something that is engaging enough and realistic enough that people go, oh, I really want to take this so that I can learn how to do my job better or do whatever it is we want them to do better. The way we do that is we identify who they are first. Um, so as an example, uh, I recently, uh, in my role at, at Microsoft, built a new hire training program for our customer service associates. Um, and we created three different learner personas because we went out and we looked across all of our customer service uh, associates and said, kind of, what do they look like? And we, we had really three distinct groups of potential learners, right? We had the, the younger um, Gen Z set who were pretty technologically savvy and very familiar with gaming and all of that. Then we had kind of a, a middle of the road set that maybe they played some games and they were generally familiar with games, but 
um, may not have any Xbox experience before they came in, right? Maybe they played PlayStation or something else, but they, they generally had some, some basic technology knowledge before. And then we had this third group that was really strong at customer service, but frankly knew nothing or close to nothing about gaming. So if we just put out one training, let's say we, we put out a training that focused our, our content at the level of that last group, the people who had no familiarity with any games at all, the first group, the ones that were really uh, savvy about games and have been playing, they were going to be bored silly. And um, frankly, I think we would have lost them. We, we would have very low retention rate. People would have just quit in the middle of the new hire program. Yeah. So we built a program that enabled each of them to kind of follow a different path. It was a single program, but you kind of chose your own path going through based on your knowledge, based on your experience, and based on what you were able to answer correctly. Right. So you may believe, you know, everything there is to know about networking for Xbox. So let's let's take you into a scenario where you you test that out. And if you can prove to us, right, you go through the scenario, you're successful. Great. That's a gating mechanism. And we let you go on to the next section. On the other hand, maybe you're not as smart as you think you are and you didn't get it right. So now we're going to move you back into the content that actually teaches you about that piece of of the program. Right. So you get those opportunities to move forward. Within each of those groups, we use different mechanics. We use different, um, different ways of presenting the data. Again, that's based on what your knowledge level is, based on what your familiarity is, is with the content, um, and based on how challenging we want it to be. Uh, I'll give you one more example. With the super, uh, super high-level gamers, we can present something that's a, a real challenge to them. They, they kind of feed off of that, right? I want it to be difficult. I want, I want to be able to say I overcame this, this hurdle. In it. And it was, you know, we, we built everything around the story of some of our Xbox games. So we, we used some of the, the leveling up ideas that you would get in a game. So for that group, challenging them and putting a, a barrier in front of them was, was a motivator. That was something they're like, yeah, that's what I want to see. I don't want it to be too easy. With the newbie group, had we done that, they would have they would have opted out. They would have left right there because it's just it's too hard. We we need to give them an opportunity to be successful early on. Now it got it got successfully more difficult, successively more difficult as they went through the program. But at least at the beginning, we wanted to give them opportunities for success, opportunities to win, to be able to demonstrate that they know something, <laughs> even if it wasn't about Xbox, and then move forward from there. So, you know, you can use those kind of strategies in any learning and development program. It doesn't have to be e-learning. It could be an instructor-led course. I, I built an instructor-led course around decision-making for senior managers. It was a card game. And it was, it was one of the most interactive, exciting, engaging things I've ever done. And watching um, 15 senior, senior level GMs start as competitors and end up working together to solve problems was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And it was just about, again, when we created the game, the, the gamified experience for them, it was very rooted in real life. And in fact, it, it was a card game where they were presented with a problem, a business problem, and they had a timer and a, a time frame to resolve that business problem. And there was a very specific uh, stepwise process they had used for making the decision and they got points if they used all the right decision points, all of that. And it was in, originally intended to be very competitive. 
We broke them up, said, okay, we've got five teams, the team that gets the most points, you're going to get a prize. What was fascinating, oh, and it's all, all very timed, right? So depending on what your problem was, you got more or less time to resolve it. What was fascinating is as they started going into these problems, you know, a team would be working on it and they were talking through it and the other teams were just supposed to observe. That's all they were expected to do. And the team that was working on it, they would, well, I'm not sure what I should do here. I'm thinking about this there. The other teams would start to jump in. Oh, have you considered that? Oh, you know, in that situation, I did this. And part of the reason for that, we, we, uh, we did a debrief. There were two reasons. The first is every single problem we presented was a real life problem that one or more of them had had to face at their facility. So we actually went and talked to their employees. We talked to the managers at the facilities and said, Tell us five big problems that your, your facilities had in the last year. And we use those as the real life examples in this game. The second thing was we went into it thinking that they were very competitive with one another. And the reason we believe that is because the business forced them to be competitive, right? You've worked in, you've worked in a manufacturing facility before, right? Facility A, facility B, and facility C, here are your operational metrics. Oh, A has you know, a 4.5 <laughs> out of 5, B only has a 4.3. There's competition there, right? You always want to be the best. We assumed that they had um, sort of uh, enculturated that in their own businesses, that they wanted to be competitive with one another. Came right down to it. They didn't want to be competitive. They wanted to support one another and help the whole business succeed. So they saw this exercise as, oh, you're struggling. Let me see what I can do to help you to raise the level of the entire organization. Hmm. And it, it just became this fascinating experience where they all, by the end of the second or third round, every it, there were no teams anymore. Everybody was doing it together. Um, and you walk away from a, a circumstance like that and you just feel incredibly successful that that wasn't exactly how I planned it, but the end result was so powerful and gave them that learning opportunity. Um, you, you just couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's such a cool thing to see. Like, like you're saying, too, I, I think going in with this expectation of what it was going to be and then see it exceed those expectations because it turned into something completely unexpected yeah um i think a couple thoughts as you were talking through it too loved the um just the idea of like creating that scenario and kind of that safe space to recreate reality but also give the freedom to fail because i think that's something that gets accentuated all the time is it's easy to say hey in a normal business setting try something new we have faith in you fail it's okay as long as you learn something it's a hard muscle to build um so love that L&D can be used to kind of create those spaces to, to condition that kind of behavior. Absolutely. And, then, and also just the, the gamer in me loves the analog to like, you know, you almost build those, uh, those difficulty settings into the training, like based on the personas, right? And you, yeah. hey, do you want to opt in or opt out of the tutorial for the game before you play it? Like, do you need this primer? Um, so just love that, that uh, parallel there. Well, and it's interesting, you know, even, even people who don't know a new game, right? If a new game came out today and you're a gamer, I said, here, go play this. 
there are different types of gamers, right? There are, as you point out, there are people who the very first thing they're going to do, and, and one of my sons is this way, he's going to grab the manual and he's going to read it cover to cover. <laughs> and he's going to know, you know, oh, I have to push this button, then I do this with the joystick, then I grab these, right? Then there are others who are going to go, oh, I don't need that. And they just dive in. And one of the, the beauties of gamification or even re just really good learning and development design is you can, you can design or develop an opportunity for learners to go either direction, right? Do you want to read the, the manual? Great. Go to the manual. Here it is. Do you want to just dive in and try it yourself? Um, the the, uh, the decision-making game I was talking about for these senior leaders, we also built an e-learning version of that game. Um, it's it's space themed. So you're in space and your, your uh, spaceship is going to get blown up if you don't fix it and you don't get out of this thing fast enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we have a manual right up front. Oh, you want to know the different things you need to do to get through here or how you do read the manual. Well, the manual, if you print it out in PDF format, it's about 20 pages long and it's very, I mean, it's text heavy. It is just, <laughs> or you can say, you know what? Don't need the manual. I'm going to just bang my way through this and I'm going to fail and then I'm going to bang through it again and I'm going to fail again. Right. It, it, it kind of gives you that opportunity, whichever approach you like to take, go for it and, and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I think uh, person, my own observations on L&D and kind of larger corporate settings have kind of brought this, this juxtaposition uh, to the forefront that I'd love your thoughts on. It's this, this uh, how do you create something that's, that's supposed to be accessible and for everybody, but recognize that everybody's going to learn differently. Everybody's going to want something different from it and approach it differently. So uh, can you talk maybe about that, that tension between something for everybody, not a lowest common denominator, but something that everybody can access as well as trying to make it kind of bespoke and individualized and customized for, for the, for the, the specific learner. Sure. So I think there are ways to um, make it available to multiple groups. And, and, you know, you mentioned accessibility and there are any number of ways we can talk about accessibility. It could be for neurodiverse folks. It could be for folks who have um, some sort of limitation. You know, I'm, I'm uh, hearing impaired. I have colleagues who are visually impaired. Uh, there are any number of ways we can approach those sorts of things. And um, I, I'll kind of skip over those because they're, they're pretty traditional. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of, uh, as you said, sort of different levels, a couple of different things come to mind. One of my colleagues, Liana Griffin, is working on a, a program that she's building using what's called a high flex model of learning. Um, imagine, if you will, you've got a learning path that's got, say, five courses in it. Each of those courses is developed two different ways. They have exactly the same content in them. So course number one, you have an e-learning course and you have an instructor-led course. Course number two, same thing. Course number three, same thing. You as a learner get to choose for each individual course in that learning path, which way do you want to take it? Oh, for this first one, I really know that material. I don't need to go to the instructor line. I'll just do the e-learning course and, and bang through it very quickly. The second one, oh, that's about statistics. I'm, I'm not real strong in statistics. I should go sit in on the class and I'll go take that, right? And you work your way through what, whatever combination of those you finish, you're done with that learning path. So that at least builds that level of flexibility in. The second level is within a given course. And this is a little more difficult in an instructor-like course and a little easier in a self-paced course. You can build out opportunities, again, to kind of choose your own adventure. 
Um, I, you know, it's, you go into it, you can test out. We have built several courses where right up front, I say, all right, before you get into this material, that's going to be a 45 minute class, take this assessment. If you pass this assessment, you don't have to go through this material because you already know the material, right? Let's save you the time, save the company the time. Um, for a larger program that I built that had, I, I dare say, had 55 courses in it, and it was a total of just about 18 hours of training, we built multiple opportunities in there, not for each of the 55 courses, but sets of 10 generally, you could test out of that next set of 10 courses. So, yep, I already know how to do that stuff. Great. I'm going to jump to the next set of 10. Um, or, nope, didn't pass that. Guess I got to go through this. The, the goal is just to make it as painless on the learner as possible, save you time. Oh, the other thing I should mention, you had the opportunity, even if you passed the assessment, let's say you know you had to pass with 80%. Let's say you got 80% and you still went, wow, I, I don't feel very confident about my 80%, right? Um, because we all know we've taken assessments before, we've guessed an awful lot and got lucky and got an 80%, right? Um, so you may go, well, I'm, I'm not terribly confident. I still want to go through the material. So you still had that opportunity. We gave you the flexibility to make the choice, but we also gave you the opportunity to skip it entirely if you want. Um, so that just gave people the, the ability to go from section to section and not have to go through stuff that we already know, right? We see it all the time that the biggest, I, and I, I complain about this even within Microsoft, the, the biggest uh, area that this happens is compliance training. <laughs> you have to take the same annual compliance training. And it's, it's generally, when I say the same, it is generally the exact same course you took last year, right? <laughs> they may update it just a little bit, but it's same, same course, same time frame. So now you got to take it again. You got hundred percent last year and somehow they believe that you have forgotten everything in the last 12 months. So now you have to go through the entire course again. Well, what if we just had you demonstrate that you know how to do what you're supposed to do and not do what you're not supposed to do? And then you could skip that time, right? The, I, I kind of, I not laugh, but I've had conversations with some of our senior leadership and they're like, oh, well, it's only a, a 15 minute course. I say, okay, fine. It's 15 minutes. We have 200,000 employees worldwide. How much does that cost you? Mm -hmm. you know, even if only 20% test it out. How much did we just save, right? The hourly, the hourly savings is amazing. Um, so, you know, giving people uh, as much ability as we can to make choices about what makes sense for them and what doesn't make sense for them while still demonstrating, and this is the, the, the key, I think, is having assessments where you have to demonstrate that you know how to do what you are supposed to do. And that doesn't mean it's a multiple choice question. That means maybe it's a scenario and you have to show me the five steps that you have to go through to do something, right? Uh, again, if, if you think about a manufacturing plant, I, I always go back to that because it's really easy for people to visualize. I want you to demonstrate to me that you know how to use a wire wrapping machine on the manufacturing floor. There are seven steps to that. If you can show me those seven steps, you don't have to go through the training. Boom, 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 boom. Perfect. You're safe. You know how to do it. I don't have to teach you anymore. On the other hand, you get to step four and you can't get past that or you mess up and the wire gets all tangled in the machine. All right, now you got to go through the courts, right? We, we've demonstrated that you don't know how to do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, no, I love the, the, 
the dual purpose or the dual benefit of of that opt out and demonstration as a way to kind of bypass is the cost savings, which is obvious. Like that's the easy sell for for an organization, right? But it's also I think empowering and engaging for the individual too, to say like, Oh, I don't need to do this thing again. Like I can prove that I know it and it's, I can, yeah. it lets me use my time in a more effective way. So um, that's, that's awesome. Um, I think to, to maybe shift slightly back to kind of your career in particular, you know, you talked a lot about the, the depth of experience and expertise in this space. And you've mentioned a few pivots here and there throughout your career, but you know, you also mentioned about the last 20 years been in the L and D space. And it's clearly something that you, you have enormous passion and energy for. I have to imagine along the way, there have been junctures or forks in the road that have, you know, said, Hey, maybe you can go this route instead of this route. Um, Maybe you can stay the course in L and D or there's, I'm sure you've had no shortage of options available to you. How did you know, and, and I prefaced this with, um, in a previous episode, we talked about uh, throughout your career, knowing when to pivot um, with the assumption that the pivot is the right choice, that, that veering away from where you thought you wanted to go is, is, is no longer true. So I love that, that your career is a contrast to that to say, no, this is the course I want to be on, but I have to imagine that there were there were options that you could have made and, and choices that you deliberately took. So can you talk about some of those, those points throughout your career where you chose to stay with L&D when maybe something was available and what drove that? Sure. So uh, I'll back up. <laughs> Pre-college, I, I'm going to take you way back now. <laughs> Coming out of high school, my, my goal going to college was to become a high school math teacher. So I have, I have always been passionate about teaching and uh, it was just a matter of which audience I was going to use, right? I ended up with adults. Um, but, uh, you know, life happens, things happen. I went to college. I got a different kind of degree. I became an economist. I became a, a statistician. I did data stuff. Um, but it was all, as I said, it was always there. I always was finding ways to teach, to coach, to train, to do those sorts of things. Even when I was in graduate school and even when I was uh, doing data analysis, I was, I was a, I, I truly a coach. I coached kids sports. I coached uh, adult sports. I, right. I took as many opportunities as I could to help people grow and develop and learn new skills. And so I always kind of had that in, in the back, right. It was always part of what I did and who I was. And then when I got that opportunity to, to really move into a true L and D role, it was very clear at that point that that's kind of the direction I was going to stay now, to your point, I've had several opportunities. Oh, don't you want to go and be a program manager strictly outside of learning and development? In fact, I just had an opportunity very recently where they said, oh, we'd love for you to come and own this data team and this project for this data team. And on the one hand, I sit back and go, oh, I could, you know, from a skill set, I could do that. Sure. And then I sit down and go, I would be bored out of my mind. And it's not what I, that's not what I love doing. It's not what I want to do. Um and I've, I, you know, I've had, much like a lot of people, I'm sure that you know, I, I've had side hustles throughout my career, right? I, uh, I went back to school and I got uh, certified as a career coach. And I had a, a, my own personal business doing career coaching, if you will, during the, uh, the height of the recession back in about 2008, 2009, and was focusing on young adults and people who were transitioning out of their careers because they could not find jobs again in their careers. And um, a lot of that became helping them 
get into learning development programs, whether they be through the government or other options, to give them new skills to grow, to move into a different direction that they would be passionate about. Um, so it, it all kind of fit together in one way or another, right? It's not all traditional corporate L&D, but it was always about how do I help support people moving forward? Um, one of the things I, I mentioned earlier, I have four sons. My youngest is... Um, my youngest is 25, if you can believe that. Um, so, and, and they're all doing their adulting career thing, which is wonderful. I'm, I'm beyond pleased with all of them. Um, and they gave me a hard time the whole time they were growing up about all of my different, uh, you know, I moved jobs quite a bit. I went back to school. I got a, a second and a third master's degree. Um, and they, they were always kind of giving me, giving me grief about that. And, you know, why, why are you changing jobs all the time? Geez, dad, it's about time. Oh, it's been two years. Going to find a new job, I guess. Or you know, you went back to school, um, and I would tell them that life is all about options, about having the door open. You know, we're we're going through right now a, a re- close to a recession. If we're not fully in a recession, and um, my mom actually happened to be here this last weekend, and she said, you know, I'm seeing all these layoffs with Twitter and Facebook and some of the others. Are you concerned about getting laid off at Microsoft? And and I said, no. And she said, oh, you, you don't think Microsoft's going to do any layoffs? And I said, that's not my, you know, that's not it. They may, they may not. But I feel very confident that the skill set I have put together is in need. That mm-hmm. if I got laid off tomorrow, there are companies who need people to help skill up their employees, help build and professionally develop their employees and coach their employees. So I, I think there's an opening for me somewhere. If, if Microsoft said tomorrow, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. I think I'd be able to find something where I can use this passion and support people in their growth and development. Um, and then, you know, the, the other side hustle, and I'll talk about this. I know you and I didn't talk about it, Patrick. Um, my buddy, Josh Penzel, who happens to work over at Skillsoft, he's a VP over at Skillsoft. He and I about, uh, I guess about a year ago now, started this crazy little business called Theater Think. Um, Josh comes from a, a theater background, has a master's in fine arts. I, of course, have my master's in adult education. And we, you know, we kind of ideate and just talk crazy talk sometimes. And we were having a chat one day and he was talking about the theater and the language of the theater. And I said, what you're talking about is learning and development. You know, you're talking about acting and having objectives and, and being able to see what somebody has done and accomplished and having them, you know, getting them to do what you want them to do. I said, that, that's what we do in learning and development. And so we, we built this, this concept um, and we say we're, we're acting theory and learning intersect. And it's all about how do we get a common language that everybody understands in the business um, and for us, it's, it's built around the language of the theater and, and the language of drama so that when we're talking, we're, we all have the same goals and the same understanding. When I say, I want you to do an action, we all know what that is. When I use the word, my favorite example is objective, right? If we get into a meeting with a learning and development person, an HR person, an operations person, person and a manager, and I use the word objective, those four people all have a different understanding of what that word means. Right. So I say my objective for Patrick is to do X. The operations person is saying, oh, my business objective is my KPI is going to be this. The HR person is, oh, Patrick's objective for his performance appraisal for this year is this. Right. And it, it, it makes it much, much more difficult to efficiently and effectively complete projects. Um, and from a learning and development standpoint, 
if I think we're supposed to be going this way for an objective and other people are going a different direction, all of a sudden I can't even do my job. Um, so, you know, we came up with this, this crazy idea that you could use the same sort of exercises, the same sort of mechanisms that you use in the theater to build learning and development programs. So that, that's my, that's my, uh, awesome. uh, let me just throw it out there. If people are ever interested, go to theaterthink.com. Yeah, no, that's great. No, and I definitely, yeah, I want, I want to make sure that all the cool stuff you're doing gets highlighted here. So yeah, uh, I'll put a, a link to that in, in the show notes for sure. Um, I love it. Um, uh, and I wanted to point out too, very selfishly, um, one of the things that, that we talked about in previous episodes, one of the main themes around kind of building a career is through this lens of, uh, of it's called Ikigai. So this idea that there's this combination of what you love to do, what you're good at doing, what the world needs or the company needs, um, yeah. and then you know what you can be paid for. So I love that just in your example there, you touched on three of those very explicitly, right? Like, sure, you, you've, you, you are good at doing the skills for a program manager. It's not what you love to do, but then also the skill set that you have, there's a need for it in the world, regardless of if it's at Microsoft, if there's a layoff or whatever. So I, I love just the, the call out to those and completely unprompted too. So uh, I just, that, that was great. And I, w- I wonder too, from the, what you can be paid for, the idea of like increasing levels of seniority, has that factored in at all in terms of how you've looked at where you do your work? Because the the kind of work has has been uh, in the same vein uh, largely, mm-hmm. but you've you've moved to a number of different companies. Um, and what what's kind of caused those kind of pivots? Because I think that's another piece where the pivot doesn't need to be this monumental shift in what you do for your career, but just how did you know when the right time to shift between even companies was? Yeah. So um, I'll actually. I, this is probably the area of my career where I have failed the most. I, until very recently, probably the last five to seven years, I was not intentional about my career. Um, you know, I would work somewhere and then uh, if things weren't going the way I wanted or I was getting bored, then maybe I would go and look for something else or something else would find me. But I never said, you know, I'm going to go work at this company because it's going to give me skill A, B, and C, and I'm going to have opportunity one, two, and three. Um, it, now it worked out a lot of times that I got those opportunities, but I, looking back, I think if I had been much more intentional, I, I might be in a different, different level or a different space than I am right now. Sure. It's, again, it has all worked out beautifully and I can't complain. Um, there have been a couple of places where, as I said, probably in the last seven years or so where I've gotten very intentional. I was working at a, an organization in Oregon and um, Amazon reached out and, uh, you know, we had taught my, my wife and I had made the decision that we were going to stay in Oregon until all of our kids graduated from high school. And that, you know, we wanted them to be able to stay in the same high school, graduate, not leave their friends, et cetera. Sometimes thing that the heavens open up and they, they smile down upon you. My, my youngest son graduated from high school and literally a month later Amazon called and said so are you interested in moving to Seattle Washington um, literally six weeks prior we I, I wouldn't have even taken the call I just said nope we've got to stay here we're going to finish you know come back and talk to me and then it worked out and we moved to Seattle and I um, Seattle was a, a wonderful town I loved living there for six years um, you know I, I worked for Amazon for four and a half I 
I, I won't say I love work, you know, Amazon was Amazon. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Microsoft came calling. Now, within my roles at Amazon, I actually had five different roles in four and a half years, and I was very intentional about those. So I, for example, in one role was um, getting a whole program team set up for Amazon Alexa, getting all of the learning and development teams set up, getting all of the, the infrastructure and the, the basic strategy set up for learning and development for that program team. And when that was done after 15 months, and, and you know, we kind of, when I went into the role, I talked to the leader and said, you know, I'm thinking this is 15, 18 months kind of thing. And she said, yeah, I could have stayed there and it could have been, you know, it would have been run state. The project was, was done and now it was just kind of maintaining. Um, and quite frankly, that's not something that I get a lot of enjoyment out of. And we knew going in when that was done, I would probably start looking for something else. And I found another opportunity within, within the company. That was a really great opportunity within the Leadership Institute worked on that for about a year, and then Microsoft reached out. And since I've been at Microsoft, same kind of thing, where I've said, okay, I'm gonna do this one, this is about a one year project, and when that's done, then we'll have this conversation about what's next. And um, you know, I'm now in my, uh, officially my third role. Um, I just started it about a week ago at Microsoft. Um, and it's, it's exactly how I had kind of planned it or mapped it out with my manager when I got hired. Um, and uh, I, I think, doing that, if I were to kind of step back and, and see my younger self, I, I'd say, you know, think about where you want to be and how you want to get there and be very intentional about write goals down. I, I've never been someone other than like working out, like for professional goals, I've never been the person who, oh, by 2014, I'm going to do this. Then, but, And I probably should have, right? I probably should have said, these are the objectives I want to accomplish so that I can get to this goal. Um, the people I know that have done that tend to be, you know, they're, they're kind of further along in where they want to be in their journey. But um, I, I think overall, it has been about finding things that I love to do and people that I like to work with. I, you've probably seen my, my LinkedIn banner, um, mm -hmm. my 2022 goals, right? Doing cool shit with great people. And, yeah. and that's what I'm, like I'm doing right now. And it doesn't get much better than that. That's awesome. Yeah, if you didn't, if you like, I was just ready to bring up your LinkedIn because I love it. I, I love uh, <laughs> it's to the point, and I think speaks to to you and your energy. Um, on that note, what's maybe we'll we'll end with this. I want to be conscious of your time. What's the coolest thing you feel like you've done in your career? What's the, if you if there was just one thing? Yep. What do you want people to know? Um, so actually. Uh, it, it was a fairly recent thing. I, in my last role at Microsoft, I owned learning and development for Xbox Worldwide, which was fabulous. One of the best parts about working with that team, as you can imagine, is they're cutting edge and they want to be cutting edge. So when you talk about learning and design and you talk about, oh, I'm going to do an e-learning, they're like, no, I don't want a basic e-learning. I want you to do something spectacular. I want you to blow our learners away. I want you to blow the people in the business away. I want them to say, wow. And, and, and we got a lot of opportunity to do that. And one of the best things I got to do was work with an augmented reality vendor, Bundle AR, and we completely redesigned the customer experience. So this is learning and development, but not for the internal people who support customers. This is actually direct to customer content. So we built augmented reality experiences that you as an Xbox gamer can use. Let's imagine you just bought an Xbox wireless headset and it's not connecting to your console via Bluetooth. Something's not working. 
You can use the app. You can point your phone directly at the headset and it will bring up an, a set of augmented reality heads, uh, augmented reality experiences for that headset. One of them is troubleshooting Bluetooth connections. You click on that, it shows you a video, it gives you a downloadable PDF document. You haven't had to look it up on the web, try and call us, chat with us, email us. You were able to solve your problem in five minutes or less. And we built those experiences for the headset, for the consoles, for the controllers. Um, it, it was just a, the fact that they let us completely think of a different approach to customer service and then take this technology and say, how can we leverage this technology in a way that will give our customers just an incredible experience like they've not had before? And from a business perspective, we can look and we can show the value of that because you as a customer didn't have to call us. So, and, and this is where it gets, you know, kind of the business side of things. We didn't have to pay a customer service associate to be on the phone with you for 15 minutes, right? Sure. You're a happier customer. So you're going to come back and buy more Xbox stuff, right? All of the things that are business KPIs because the business was willing to say, let's try something new. Let's give this a shot and see if it works. And um, it, yeah, it was about a 15, 18 month project and it was just super exciting. And um, I've been able to share it at different conferences and things. And every time I do, people's eyes just get huge and they get, they get really uh, wondered about it. And um, yeah, so that's, that's probably the, the, the most exciting thing I've done. That is, that is super cool. Um, that's awesome. Well, perfect. I think, uh, like I said, want to be conscious of your time. Um, but last, last pitch for anything uh, that you're excited about. How can people connect with your ideas, your thoughts? Theater Think. I'll put the link in the show notes. I know that you've spoken at a number of gamification conferences. Is there anywhere that you're speaking next that you want people to come visit or recordings or anything? I am. I'm going to give Training Magazine a shout out. Um, if you're available to come to the Training Magazine conference in Orlando in February. Um, I'll be there uh, with a lot of my friends from Microsoft and a lot of other learning development friends. Um, and then obviously follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I try and interact there. Don't hesitate to reach out to me directly if you want to connect with me directly or if you have a question. I happen to happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. Chuck, thanks so much. Uh, lived up to all previous expectations I had in my mind from other interactions that we've had. Uh, obviously, you know, so giving of your time and so energetic. Can't thank you enough. Um, set the bar high for the first of what's hopefully many of these kinds of interviews going forward. And I feel like there's so much that that we didn't get a chance to unpack. So uh, I might be reaching out to you again uh, to talk uh, a little you bit. You know, more. I'll be there for you, man. Happy to <laughs> do it. Appreciate it. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot, Chuck. All right. Thank you. Take care. And that wraps up the first career deep dive episode. Honestly, this was more fun than I thought that it would be. And I hope that some of what Chuck shared is able to help you in some way, either through inspiration for how you might pursue your own career or through some direct advice that you can put into action. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send those to me or any other comments you might have to patrick at prgscoach.com. If you also have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer to the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd love to hear from you and see about having you on as a future guest for our career deep dive episodes. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. 
Thank you again for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.